Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. Welcome to another edition of More Than a White Man's Game, a baseball podcast on the House of L Network. I'm your host, Maddie Lee, and today I'm bringing in Layla Rahimi, who, if you're in Chicago, you definitely know either from her work at NBC and or now her work at The Score where she's co-host of the Bernstein and Rahimi show. Awesome show. They've had me on a few times. This last time, somehow we got from Jock Peterson's invisible mustache to us talking about tweezing our own lady mustaches. So (laughs) you never know what can happen on there. But that just speaks to how great... Layla is at her job at getting people to open up and create fantastic radio. Definitely was not planning on going on the radio and talking about my own facial hair. So she's great. I'm a huge fan of hers. That'll be abundantly clear during this interview. Uh, We'll talk some about the early years of her career in baseball and some of the stories from there. We'll also go over her transition now doing full-time radio, which I always talk about as kind of one of the last frontiers for women in sports because obviously I would love for there to be more diversity across the board, but Radio is a really tough one where you get a lot of flack for just straight up having a female voice, no matter what it sounds like. And, you know, you definitely have some, frankly, misogynist listeners who go into listening to the segment. As soon as they hear a female voice, they're thinking, oh, she must not know what she's talking about. So really tough industry. Um, but Layla's doing an awesome job. She's a perfect person to kind of start breaking down the barriers there as an everyday weekday host. So we'll talk about that and I'll share the story of how she and I first met, which actually happened before we very briefly were coworkers at NBC Sports Chicago. So a lot of good stuff to dive into. Hope you enjoy it and... I'll stop yammering and kick off the interview. All right. Now I'm going to welcome in Layla, who for years was a broadcast staple on the field and in the booth covering baseball teams like the Padres, the Astros, of course, the White Sox. And she's now the co-host of the Bernstein and Rahimi show. Layla, thanks so much for joining me. Thank you for having me. So you're like, let me make sure that I'm doing this math right, five months into your job at the score, something around there? 
almost six. I started on June or uh, January 1st. No, wait, January 4th. But um, I had been hosting on the score once a week since September, at least. And it was really more like one to three to four times a week, depending on what was going on. So you could say I, I started hosting on a regular basis back in September. Gotcha. Well, I mean, you made history, right? As the first woman to be a regular weekday host at the score. Did anything surprise you? Obviously you'd been doing radio before, but about that transition kind of from, from TV to radio. It's uh, it's been, it's been a challenge. It's been tough. It wasn't easy changing careers essentially radio is something that i've done on the side and that's been known when i've guest hosted with lawrence or when i've guest hosted on the score but to do it five days a week is a is a much different deal to have your name be on the show and and yeah to to carry that responsibility of being the first woman host and i like to say that you don't want to be it's 2021 it shouldn't have taken this long and I have huge respect for Maggie Hendricks and Julie DeCaro, who were on the score for years, and think they do an amazing job, whether it's in writing or in radio or just in media in general and book writing. But it's, uh, yeah, there's, there's definitely a lot of criticism that comes with it uh, to the point where even though I've been told it's, it's overwhelmingly positive and our ratings have shown that, it still takes a toll. Our job is to listen to people. And for me, that's difficult at times to separate and turn off. Yeah. How, how do you handle that? I just ignore comments. Like as a writer, I'm able to just like, I'm not going to scroll down to the comments section, but that's. Uh, I think, you know, at times, like I'll give a, I'll, I'll be sarcastic back. I think people know that I can I can pop off a bit and have an attitude. I try not to be too mean or that thing, that type of emotion with it, um, that type of thing, I should say. Uh, I Or at times, yeah, the mute and block buttons are your friends. Um, it just depends on what's said. I just, I am of the belief that just because this is my job, does it abscond you from your behavior? Like, my job and existence doesn't justify you being a bad person. And a lot of people have a problem with that, which kind of surprises me. But for the most part, it's been a positive experience. Um, and, and when I'm very much still trying to learn, like, while I'm doing it, which is not usually what happens in a city like Chicago, but I appreciate everybody who's, who's been patient with me and along for the ride. Well, I've told you this, not on podcast, but just to be on the record, I mean, you've done an incredible job. I've absolutely enjoyed listening to the show and, and watching, especially your chemistry with Dan grow and love coming on and you're killing it. Well, I really appreciate that. Yeah. It's been a lot of fun. It's a great creative outlet. And for that, I'm really thankful. In terms of like that, that I listener pushback that you're talking about and the mean comments and all that I mean how much is that a lot more than what you'd get on tv because obviously on tv you have the comments about your looks which I again 
as a writer, I get to dodge a lot of this, which is, which is nice and also horrible that if you're just heard and seen that you end up getting a lot of this pushback. But I mean, how, how does it differ? Because I feel like we're starting to get to a point where people where being on where women being on TV is a little more normalized, but not really on the radio, I feel like. Yes, there have definitely been comments about my looks, mostly about my voice, because that's the thing that makes me the most different. But I've gotten hateful comments about my voice my entire life. So that wasn't really that unique. Um, I think the biggest thing is just every single thing I say, there's a huge bias that if somebody wants to not like you, they're going to listen with. So they're listening for me to make mistakes. And so it doesn't really matter if I said it or not. They're going to say I said it anyway. So you get criticized for what you say, how you say it. I've never been so criticized for my ad-libbing grammar as with this job too. And not being from Chicago, that changes a lot of it as well because I come from Texas where the regional dialect is different. And sometimes that's going to pop up since I talk nonstop for three hours a day. So uh, I get criticized on my grammar. I've gotten criticized for saying a myriad of, which is still technically grammatically correct because I use the term a it's, it puts you on the defensive because a lot of times it's a response bias issue. The only feedback you're going to get is from people who want to have a problem with you. Or people telling me I said things I never said. But I, it's been hard to temper. Um, that's, that's the hardest part of the job. Uh, the, the fun part of the job is, is tons of people joining in on inside jokes that were created on the show that just make me laugh all the time. Like the, I hate to focus on the bad when the, when the good still outweighs the bad so much. Like We have a ton of listeners who are way funnier than me and contribute a lot of funny comments and either over Twitter or over our text slide or on our Twitch stream to the show. And they have a lot of really creative things that they say that I've loved reading and hearing throughout this time. Uh, and I want to point out that those people, who, the ones who laugh with us and, and add to the show have really made it enjoyable too. I love that. Yeah. What are the highlights? Do you have any, uh, any of it stick out from those hilarious oh yeah every day people say things that are really funny like every single day we had uh like some music we play music coming in and out of commercial breaks and for some reason our producer jordan played the instrumental of uh last resort by papa roach and then twitch our twitch viewers started to do a bears lyrical spoof to the song and so that was great. Like cut the, my bears fandom into pieces. This is Virginia <laughs> McCaskey's last resort. Like that was hilarious. Um, we've had, we've had listeners make fun of themselves. Like one of them was talking about how people need to be locked in at the beginning of the season, which I think is, is really kind of impossible because mid season form is definitely a thing. And then we talked 
20 minutes later about this pilot and a gender reveal who crashed the plane. And the same person said that pilot wasn't locked in. So now locked in has become a joke. We make fun of ourselves all the time with random references. And so people pick up on those. So like mostly it's just been a lot of other people contributing to the show better than me and making me laugh. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. I mean, I, I am not uh, great at being super active on Twitter and that would be my only equivalent. Um, so I, I miss a lot of that. It's also a little self-preservation, you know, but. Yeah. And that's, that's the thing is like, people don't seem to realize that it's pretty difficult to be that way and then turn that off. Like we're not machines, but talk radio listeners are listening because they have opinions and I I'm not as hot takey as a lot of our listeners and that's a problem for them. But, you know, you just have to understand that you're not for everybody. But when that's a huge part of your job, it becomes, um, you know, it's just a different way of having to think about it. Yeah, for sure. I am also very much not hot takey. I feel like I want I want to come in with like the most informed opinion and I want to be right all the time and that does not pop on air at all. Huh. And unfortunately, I you know, that is my job now. And and I don't I have opinions about things, but a lot of times I'll agree with my partner Dan on something and then people get mad about that. And I'm like, "Listen, this isn't like some formula show here where Dan has one take and I have to have the opposite take of Dan." So then we're going to debate. Like, that's not really how this works. Like, if we both agree that bunting your number seven hitter to bring up your number eight hitter on a depleted lineup with no outs is a bad idea, I don't really know how you push back against that. I don't really know who thinks bunting in that position is a good idea, other than the manager who decided to do it the other day. But that's, you know, I'm not going to debate against that. That's to me, there's a lot of that too. They're like, oh, you're not pushing back against Dan. Not when I agree with him. No, my job is to bring my opinion. And if my opinion happens to agree with Dan, then it does. Sometimes it doesn't. I don't know what to tell you. I'm just going to be smile. <laughs> like, I just kind of like fail smile and like walk away. <laughs> I feel like too, I was talking with someone about this the other day. Let me know if you agree with this. I feel like there's a bit of a generational divide too between the people who are really into those intense hot take shows where everyone's screaming at each other like a you know like a skip and shannon type thing and then the shows and the sports talk that i love is when you have these goofy ongoing jokes and there's like really a a nice rapport between the hosts and like they feel like your friends, you know, you feel like you're popping into a conversation with your friends. Like, I feel like there that might be a generational thing, or maybe just uh, that's how people in my circles consume sports. We were talking about that because Mike and the Mad Dog came up. Mike Francesca, Francesca, and Chris Mad Dog Russo, and how they were. I don't think the originators necessarily, but man, are they the example of that, right? They're the example of like, 
two New York radio hosts yelling loudly at each other. And like, that was the show. And I have a lot of friends who are younger than me who still love that type of show. But that's just not me. So like, I can't be real like manufactured hot take there if I don't have one. Like to me, it's, it's more about like leading with questions and making fun observations. And like, if you agree with somebody on something, you agree with them. Like to me, it's more about that type of thing. And there are going to be disagreements, but it's a matter of how. And also I think, uh, you know, just in learning from some of my co-hosts at the score, like really listening, because it's one thing to listen to a show as a fan or a listener. And it's another thing to listen when you have the job, because then you're listening for different things. You're dissecting it. You're rewinding the tape. You're trying to see what they do from a formula standpoint. And I've learned a lot from them as to how they craft topics for certain segments. It's not just, it's not just like have, you know, discuss the game from last night. It's like, here's your thesis statement. Here's how you're discussing it. So it's bringing a little more production and producing into radio, which, which we do a ton of it on the television side. We produce down to the second, yeah. but that's not necessarily radio. I myself like to have a few more parameters. So it's also like knowing your personnel, balancing that, like learning how to do that in the space that you're given to. And, and what results with me is usually that kind of stuff. It's like observational. Yeah, I have some opinions and... In the meantime, it's also just pointing out what I saw from the night before in sports or something that interests us, whether it's an interview or something along those lines. Like, I don't know how you disagree with the Bears draft. That was awesome. Yeah. They gave up a lot of picks for next year. I guess that's that's the concern. But that seems to be the general consensus. Absolutely. So, I don't think I've ever been Bears fans as happy as on draft night. I don't right. think happy in a very long time before that right and and that's a challenge too so it's like how are you going to say different things about what the bears are doing compared to your other shows so that's it's all been a huge learning experience well and then the beauty of having different you know approaches to to like the hot takes versus the, you know, open-ended question sort of thing is you do get like, it's not just the same show from 5 a.m. to 5 p.m., right? You you have such different personalities coming out in each of your guys's shows. Um, and also yelling for three hours sounds very physically draining. Like, I don't think I would be able to come back the next day just vocally. I, don't, I mean, some people can do it. Like we played, we played Chris Russo's takes about your mean Mercedes. And I'm like, man, is this busted? Like, this is, these are, these are bad takes. But there's a lot of people who agree with them. So, you know, that's, there's a reason he's saying the stuff he's saying, but I can't, I can't bring it like that. I, I would sound funny if I did. I will bring it about some things and you know this having worked with me. But uh, I, I, I can't do 100 all the time. I vary in somewhere in between like 90 and 50, you yeah. know? Yeah, you've got to save your legs for you're – like, you're like a catcher. You can't be sprinting to first on just a routine <laughs> pop-up. 
You got Wilson Contreras. If Mad Dog were a catcher, he would be Wilson Contreras. <laughs> and I think I fall somewhere along the David Ross line. <laughs> I'd give you a little more youth than David Ross. No offense to him. Not much. Like, I, I, he's older than me, but I don't, he's not a ton older than me. I'll say that. <laughs> Oh, that's awesome. Um, in terms of, well, I feel like now's a good time to bring up how we met. Story time, just for listeners. I actually met Layla before we ever started working together. It's I- really odd, too, because it wasn't like everybody was meeting each other during this time. No. So, she was one of the very few people at NBC that I had met at all in the first several months of, of my time here. And so um, I was in town for, uh, for All-Star because I was covering the Thunder. And we were waiting for, I think it was Patrick Beverly, right? After, it was Patrick Beverly. After the skills competition. And yes. this man... I don't know what he was doing, but it was, we were probably halfway through the dunk contest before he finally came out. He, I, was, he was sewing the clothes onto his body that he was wearing that day. Exactly. Um, he looked, I mean, was so nice and friendly as soon as he came out, but like, <laughs> but, but we'd been there for a while. And so we got a lot of time to just like awkwardly stand in a huddle. Not, not even a scrum yet, just like kind of a loose huddle around where he was going to set up. And in the age of COVID, with COVID being very prevalent reportedly at the time, terrifying. <laughs> Way too close. But my first um impression of Layla which I don't think I've told you this is you command such a presence like it seemed like you knew everyone there and you were just like having little off-the-cuff conversations I was like damn who is that girl and then we get into the um Patrick Beverly and I had not done a, a good job positioning myself to like weasel my way into the front of the scrum when he did show up so I'm doing the awkward like reach over four people who were taller than me move and Layla saved me and grabbed my recorder and just held it right next to his mouth for the press conference and it was clutch oh yeah I mean I I could tell that like you were in a bad position and so I just had a free hand and I was like I I don't know I just try to do that for people because I didn't always get that help when I was in those situations. So um, I, to me, the only way I ever really get over anything is by like being that person for somebody else. And so, I, yeah, that's kind of something that I, that I do. And I was like, oh, she works for the Oklahoma. That's pretty cool. And I think I even said that to you afterward, because I'm from... Uh, pretty much, I'd say, two and a half hours at max south of Oklahoma City and yeah. in, in where I'm from in Texas, so uh, north of Dallas. So, um, uh, you know, that, it was just funny how that worked out. And then come to find out, you had applied for a Cubs job and gotten it. And I was like, wait, 
I met her at All Star. And you were like one of the few people that I actually met because we weren't doing a ton of other coverage outside of like certain targeted players. And uh, that w- it was an amazing coincidence. But I, I appreciate you saying that. That's, uh, I don't know. I don't really ever think of myself like that. Yeah, no. I'm here to help out when people need a free hand. <laughs> I appreciate that. And it was, it, I mean, like you said, so funny because I hadn't even that job wasn't even on my radar at all-star it came up later and so I had not even put two and two together and then I get the job and realize that I think you even reached out to me on Twitter realize that we're going to be working together oh my gosh and it like so immediately clear to me why you had very quickly and dear I mean quickly and thoroughly endeared yourself to the Chicago base um but I have to ask you Yes, looking back in pre pre Chicago career, you covered a, a string of like pretty bad Padres teams. <laughs> what is it? What is it like watching them now? Uh, so I was with the Padres for a year. They I launched Fox Sports San Diego. One because I'm a glutton for punishment. I also in the same year launched the network formerly known as CSN Houston. And launching a network is tiring. We didn't even have a studio. Oh my gosh. So we were producing everything live out of our production truck at the ballpark at Petco. And we had our pre and post game shows. Oh my. And, and when the team's not very good and they hadn't moved the fences in yet at Petco, you were getting... A two-to-one ball game, pretty much guaranteed every time, unless it was a one-to-nothing ball game. And that's, uh, it, it made it really difficult to, like, find content, interview people. The players were awesome, but I know they were tired of me, too, just because that's the nature of our job. But from there, I went to the 100-loss Astros. My first game covering anything for CSN Houston, the launch episode, was in Chicago. And it was the first meeting of two 100-loss teams in the Cubs and the Astros in over 50 years. <laughs> and as Luke Starkmeyer told me in a, in a pep-up speech, we're just the reporters to do it. <laughs> so then the Astros lost 100 games the next season that I covered them in full in 2013. And then the next season in 2014... <laughs> They lost slightly fewer games. And then by that time, we already knew that we were on our way out. Uh, So by the end of 2014 in October, I was already on my way to Philly, where the Phillies were rebuilding in 2015. And then I ended up in October of 2015 here in Chicago. I'm going to be really mad for you if the White Sox get to the World Series this year. Because, well, I assume they will, because I'm no longer covering their team. You've you've removed the jinx. (laughs) Oh, in fact, like, Philly being Philly, uh, they did an episode of a blog they used to have called The 700 Level, which is a reference to, like, the cheapest seats at the vet. And it was was called The Curse of Layla Rahimi, (laughs) which really you should ask my ex-boyfriends and ex-husband about that more so than any but yeah uh I, my presence usually doesn't indicate a successful team 
<laughs> the Bulls are a good example of that. Uh, the shows I did do with the White Sox during the rebuild. <laughs> but thankfully, I got to do some Cubs coverage in 2016, so that made up for it. Well, I will give you this. You weren't doing pre and post when the White Sox had their postseason collapse last season. So, No, no, we just watched it live on the score. Like, that was hilarious, too. That's where my job gets, like, really fun. Like, uh, please don't get it twisted. Like, I talk about sports and goof off and make jokes for three hours. It's pretty great. So... I, uh, like, was watching the game with Matt Spiegel and Danny Parkins, who are now the afternoon show, Parkins and Spiegel. And we're just yelling. Like, during the breaks, I was yelling so loud. And the guys were like, please stop. We have to hear you. And you're really loud. But it made made for such a distracted show. But, like... I don't know that anybody really complained. I mean, somebody's always complaining that I've learned. Like, some listener will always have a problem with something you do. But no, but sometimes it's really funny because, like, we'll get texts that are like, you've let this golf person talk for way too long. This is boring. And then the next text is literally, wow, this is really cool that you let this golf person go on so long. This is a great interview. So, like, you're like, all right. It went zero sum. We canceled each other out here. But, uh, yeah, no, we were super distracted the entire time watching that last Sox game where Rick Renteria had used literally eight pitchers, and I'm like, what the hell is this game? Um, I was trying to was- the hook there. I was trying to say that you weren't the jinx and then you just you just took it right back i mean i i have to tell the truth and the truth was i was watching that game live and i was just as upset as everybody else yeah uh going back to san diego we just kind of skirted right past this but how did you do an hour pre and post without like in was it in the like where did where did you do it with no studio like what does this look like so I was the field reporter at the time and Mike Pomerantz who's still there he's the host and he's a fabulous host he's so good at his job and Mark Sweeney who is just this beloved veteran in Major League Baseball and like since has started doing Fox National stuff and they because it's San Diego it's not like it rains so they would just do the show outside at the Tony Gwynn statue every time that's not bad yeah, uh, I think it. I think it rained once when I was there, actually, for like some minutes. I want to say it was like twenty minutes or so, and it was like a pretty big deal. Right, Bra- breaking news: there's rain in San Diego. Yeah, and contrary to popular popular belief, it does get really hot. I lived east of the five, I five going north and south, and uh, east of the five, like my my apartment didn't have an air conditioner. And it was definitely 90 degrees on many days. Yeah, which but, was kind of miserable. But then it never gets below. My my cousins and my grandma live in San Diego and we'll go visit them and it'll drop to, I don't know, 65 and they're layering on coats. Because it is cold. Like, that's the thing is I moved there from Austin. Like, how sweet is that? Austin to San Diego. And then I just mess it all up by going to Houston. But I liked Houston a lot. But like Austin to San Diego, and I'm like, I don't need jackets. And then I didn't realize how cold it would get at night. I was freezing. But I 
I had five sweaters to my name and they're all like super thin cardigans because like what do I know <laughs> I had this really heavy coat from what I thought was really heavy from like a previous job in North Texas like in southern Oklahoma basically and I was like well I don't need this anymore like this my ski jacket can go into storage who needs coats and then I moved to Philly yeah how was that transition? Philly was a blast like I really liked Philly I can't even imagine being a woman doing sports talk radio in Philly, though. <laughs> the co- I'm worried about the comments here. Good God. <laughs> and they know I'm from Dallas, so they hate me now. <laughs> Not hold back, for sure. Like, they found out I was from Dallas, and it was over. And it was, like, pretty, like, well-established into my year there. So... I guess like, you know, they start watching you enough and they start to look you up. And I was like, that's right. You're sleeping with the enemy. <laughs> but it was a really good time. I liked Philly a lot. That's awesome. All right. Before I let you go, if you're to look back at all of the, all of the baseball you've covered in your life, whether it's on TV or radio or whatever it may be, what stands out to you the most? in terms of games or moments or it's it's honestly it's my first job so my first job covering baseball was on the radio for the ticket in dallas i was a reporter so different from hosting i was the clubhouse reporter for the rangers post game show called diamond talk and it was the show that actually everybody listened to more show than the more so than the flagship show Uh, on the, at the time radio station, 1080 AM. And all the players listened to Diamond Talk, everybody listened to the ticket, what have you. So uh, that's where I like learned. And, and I was surrounded by really supportive people at the time who encouraged me, who like rolled with my mistakes. They knew that I was very, very green. And I was in college getting paid doing this job. Uh, Previous to that, I had worked in weekend overnight traffic to get an on-air resume. So, um, and these were not internships, these were paid jobs. And uh, they worked with me on how to get better and like what to do and um, showed great patience and uh, really taught me. And the players were great too. Players were respectful, and like understanding. And um, I just, it always like really stuck out to me because I made a ton of mistakes. I do every day to get to the point where I am now. Uh, I did not wake up like this, you know? So for me, like having the understanding from other people and the encouragement and the teaching was everything. And I don't think anybody gets anywhere without it. Yeah. Very well said. Well, Layla, thank you so much for joining me on here. Um, It's been awesome chatting about so many different things. I hope someday you get to cover a team without ruining their season for them (laughs) I mean I don't think I'm ruining anybody's season necessarily I just uh I don't know I don't even know if I know how to talk about good teams I mean I'm kind of doing it now on a regular basis on the score talking about the White Sox but they've had a rough week you know and the Cubs are playing really well and then nobody knows how to deal with that so even when they're good you don't quite know what to do necessarily (laughs) and now for for San Diego I'm just thrilled for them because that was a year 2012 
bereft of home runs. Like there were no home runs to be had. So to see what, what Fernando Tatis is doing and Manny Machado and now that you Darvish is there, I absolutely love it for them. Yeah, that's wild going from that to Slam Diego, right? <laughs> there was no such thing as Slam Diego when I was there. That is for sure. All right. Well, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Um, and yeah, I'll see you soon. Always so good to talk with Layla. It's funny because when I first came in to my job with NBC Sports Chicago covering Cubs, she and for some reason, she and Lawrence Holmes were the two people who I always ended up doing random TV segments with during those first couple months when, you know, everything was shut down. And then eventually when baseball restarted back up and I'm so lucky to have been able to meet them in that setting, get to know them. And those two are such pros too, right? So they made me, the writer, look so much better on TV than I had any right looking. And it was all a weird setup, right? Because that was when we still were all doing like the Zoom interviews on TV. But they both are have such great personalities and have such great chemistry too that it still worked even in that bizarre format even with me the writer uh doing my best to bog down the segment but they were so good that I couldn't so I'm so thankful to both of them speaking of Lawrence Holmes shout out to him our producer of this podcast the man who is responsible for the House of L network And I think we'll wrap on that note. Thanks so much for listening. Like, subscribe, comment, as long as it's nice. (laughs) Like I said on here, I don't usually read comments, so feel free to tweet at me if you actually want me to see what you're saying. And really appreciate your support. Uh, tell, Tell your friends and family about this podcast, and I'll see you next time.